Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Roland Leggett is smart, strategic, politically savvy, and a nationally recognized movement leader. He's worked as an organizer for the Obama for America campaign with the Detroit branch of the ACLU, Equality Michigan, Michigan Environmental Justice Coalition, and was the former director of mobility initiatives at MoGo Detroit. He was a regional political director during the Biden campaign and is currently the movement politics director at Michigan United. Roland is also an outspoken LGBTQ advocate serving on the LGBTQ and Allies Caucus of the Michigan Democratic Party. Through his consultancy firm, Roland Leggett Strategies, he works at building inclusive communities. The personal is still political, and no one knows it better than this activist and strategist. He shares his thoughts on why staying engaged from the local to national levels has never been more important. Redistricting, midterm elections, what we've learned, what's at stake with redistricting, and the 2022 midterm elections. The personal is still political. Roland Welcome back to Collections by Michelle Brown. Well, I'm here with one of my favorite political strategists, a a political junkie, somebody who I know I can talk to who won't roll their eyes when I go, God, you're talking politics again, Roland Leggett. Roland, how are you? I am fabulous, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. You know, I know a lot of people are like, you know, oh, well, you know, we, you just last year you bugged us about the presidential election. Just chill how, you know, we can take a break. But we can't take a break, can we? No, we can't. We can't. We've got to keep our foot on the gas. And mm-hmm. um, especially when you see all of the movement happening around uh, voter suppression bills around the country and uh, women, women's reproductive health. There's just so many things at stake so we have to keep our foot on the gas you know i mean for too many years i mean i always would say my mantra was supreme court justice supreme court justice we didn't heed that and now we see what we have with supreme court and many of the very things that you mentioned particularly women's reproductive rights 
are going to end up there. I mean, you know, what, uh, like right now when I talk to people, it's like, you know, filibuster, people don't get there. Why we should be concerned about the filibuster. And that in and of itself really can impact things like not only voting rights, but the whole build back better bill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, why is this, and, you know, there's two people whose name will re- shall remain nameless, who, but have a D, supposedly after yeah. their name. Why are these people so against changing the filibuster rules? Well, I think that's a great question, Michelle. Obviously, I'm not in their head, thankfully, mm-hmm. so I don't know exactly um, <laughs> Why there's such op- Yes, I would have a much more uh, dynamic answer for you than I do. Um, but you know, uh, a lot of folks in certain spaces, I don't agree with this, um, are really uh, uh, focused on like the parliamentary um, process and at the expense of vulnerable residents and voters. And what I think you're seeing with. Um, senators uh, on the Democratic side uh, in, uh, in Congress right now is a real desire to maintain the status quo at work um, at the expense of vulnerable uh, residents and voters all over this country while we're in the middle of a pandemic that continues to rage on. And that's not acceptable. Um, and it's, uh, I don't believe what any of their voters voted for. They voted to have representation in Congress. They'd be able to speak to the needs of their families. Um, so that's kind of what's going on. And so what we would, what, well, I know what, what I've been focused on and the roles that I, that, um, that I have is putting as much pressure as possible on the folks that we have in Michigan that are in Congress and having them talk to their colleagues, making sure that, for example, that, Senator Gary Peters and Senator uh, Debbie Stabenow understand that voting rights is a top priority. The Build Back Jetter, Better agenda, rather, is a top priority, and they need to be pushing their colleagues in every way they possibly can to deliver for their constituents. So it was a long answer to your question, but unfortunately, the, you know, the reasoning is not the best, but uh, we continue to fight. Well, you know, the thing that, that is so crazy about that, and, you know, and that is their reasoning, but we have always talked about and seen the Constitution, government being like a living, breathing document entity. I mean, if we hung so tight to everything, well, you know, women certainly wouldn't be voted, and you and I, well, hey, you know, we wouldn't yeah. be on that. So it's so like that's the thing that's so amazing to me that even if they look at how their legislative bodies have changed, that you want to hold on to something that really isn't valid anymore. No, it isn't. It's, it's, it's a relic, um, frankly, of um, in my in my opinion, Roland's opinion, some uh, racist policies and behaviors. Um, that would allow certain uh, folks to keep um, a stronghold on certain legislation related to civil rights. And Mm -hmm. we simply cannot um, allow that to 
understand. Uh, there are too many people that are counting on on us, and there's too many years under our belt of progress that have been, that's been made uh, for us to give up now. Yeah, I mean, and you and I and I imagine that same skew as as some of us. You could throw in the electoral college, and I mean, I mean, let's let's just put it all. Let's let's clean house once and yeah. for all. And well, deal I will with... say this. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Michelle, I didn't mean to interrupt you. What, what were you going to say? No, that's okay. Well, what so I was going to say, say is, you know, there, 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 is a, there is a school of thought, you know, and we had this really, really, really dynamic um, ballot initiative in 2018 here in Michigan that expanded access to voting. And so, you know, there's a school of thought, which I happen to agree with, that we need to be more aggressive about making sure that these protections remain intact and that we're identifying ways in which people can have greater access to voting. So, like, not only let's make sure that we don't lose the gains that we've made, but let's identify ways in which we can make changes um, to legislation to make sure that everyone that has the right to vote has um, access uh, to voting you know, I think making Election Day a federal holiday would be a really great way um, to speak to that. Um, you know, there's just a number of things that can be done. No reason absentee voting all over the country, for example, um, a really great way to do that. But you're, you're right that there are these attacks that are going on. But I think in addition to us being defensive, we need to be offensive and to make sure that we're putting in place policies that ensure that everyone that has the right to vote has access to that vote and that that access is not it shouldn't be hard to be able mm-hmm. to uh express uh your, your civic opinion so um i think there's a lot of things that we can be doing in addition to fighting against these voter uh these really harmful voter suppression bills and um also you know getting rid of the filibuster you know michelle i heard uh earlier today that there is a bipartisan group of senators that are working on a bill right now that would make the uh that would change the way in which the electoral college um votes were uh were were handled in congress in a way in which it would be impossible for a sitting vice president for example to change the will of the electoral college mm-hmm. that's something that you know we know was a t- that there was an attempt to have that happen in 2020 there's legislation that um that that's looking to address that so this conversation is ongoing even though today, um, you know, we're not seeing the movement that we would like to see. But then, I mean, and I hate to go back to the, the, you know, the Supreme Court, but we know that most Americans support a woman's right to choose. So then you mm-hmm. have some lunatics in Texas who came up with SBA, and um, it looks like the will of the people, what most people believe in, that if it hits the Supreme Court, they have the opportunity because of we didn't we didn't do our job, and you know there wasn't that outrage. I mean, which is which goes back to when Obama wanted to appoint someone, and they were like, "Oh no, we have to wait," and then what they let Trump do, but. Um, we still have that. So if we fight and we are able to get these, you know, voters' rights, and I mean, I mean, even some things as far as 
you know, protections against COVID. It's going to hit the Supreme Court. Yeah. Well, it and already I has. Gonna... I mean, the vaccine mandate was uh, just litigated. Mm-hmm. And, like, and you hear many people are also saying, well, you know, that there is the ability to change the dynamics of the Supreme Court, maybe bring, where uh, President Biden could appoint people. But it's like our side seems to like to play nice, where I'm kind of thinking if the shoe was on the other foot, I mean, they would stack it even more. What, what do we have to do to stop? How do we be more assertive about what we want? You know, I mean, like Biden is con- concerned about working across the aisle. When do we sort of say, you know, screw this? I mean, this is what the people want. This is what we're going to do. Well, I, another great question, and I think that one of the things in terms of when we do that, I think it should be yesterday. Um, <laughs> and the, the, the way that I would like to see this addressed is that we get folks like you, Michelle, and like your listeners to run for office. And um, we do everything we can to get folks that share our values in office. And then we, we, have, we hold them accountable uh, once, they're in, once they're in office. Um, and that's something that doesn't always happen, right? So it's, you know, oftentimes... Politics can be tricky, <laughs> uh, and so we, you know, we don't always have the option of voting for folks that that represent our communities in the way in which we would like them to do. And a really great remedy for that is to put ourselves out there ourselves and to run for office. And that doesn't have to be the presidency. It can be you can start with school board. You can start uh-huh. with you know any number of local opportunities. Uh, but it makes a huge difference. And you know, Michelle, you, you were talking about. Um, you know, if we're talking about a lot of stuff on the federal level that's going on, there's a lot of crazy stuff happening in school board meetings all over the country related to uh, vaccine mandates and, you know, quote unquote, critical race theory. And having folks that share our values at the table when those conversations are being had is also incredibly important. So from top to bottom, we need people like us at the table speaking on our behalf that we can work alongside. And that needs to start yesterday. Well, you know, before we had all of this, you know, this revolution from the right, I mean, that all hearing someone saying, like, you know, they had the long game, and they started running everywhere from, they said, we're going to start running to control the doghouse, and pretty soon we're going to control the White House. And they did. And, you know, yeah. and like you said, that's what we also need to do. We need to get out there and, and start running and doing and running for office. And we can see that people can get elected. I mean, I've talked to people who said, well, you know, it, it just costs so much money and then you can't do this and that. But I'm going like, no, I've seen people, you know, it's just like, how do you get in, engaged in doing this and to make it? People tend to look at the, at the big ticket items and, like, they forget about school board and everything like that. But especially now, and I will say like with COVID, we are really, really, really insulated where we're not, you know, crossing boarding borders to see this. What's the best way for someone, I mean, from the big level down to here in Michigan to know what are things that you can impact and how you can go about doing it? I mean, how do we get trained? How do we go... Do it. How do we know, you know, 
go about running for office. A lot of people don't don't know that. Yeah, and it's overwhelming. So here's what uh, I suggest that folks do. One of my roles, Michelle, is I'm the Movement Politics Director at Michigan United and with Michigan People's Campaign. And so Michigan United uh, is a 501c3 <clears throat> that uh, is a, one of the country's largest political organizing um, nonprofits. Um, and then we have a what's called a C4 that does a more partisan direct political action called Michigan People's Campaign, and I'm also a political director of. And I'm bringing that up because we have what's called a Movement Politics Academy, where folks are able to get a really comprehensive training from some of the best professionals in the business on top-down what they need to do in order to run for office, everything from media training to um, how your campaign should be run to uh, connections to additional resources to help you find things like staff and volunteers and um, message training, just a, a, a top to bottom um, examination. And so that's really what I suggest to folks that they do um, is to, uh, I would suggest um, the Move of Politics Academy, but you know, the Victory Institute, um, for example, also puts on a number of great uh, trainings throughout the year, but investing in yourself uh, to the point where you have the resources and you have a sense of the, the lay of the land uh, in terms when it comes to, to running your own campaign because it is it can't be overwhelming it's totally doable but you want to make sure you have the best tools and the best team mm -hmm. okay now on the other side as a community person and mm -hmm. you know and you think you've got someone I mean I was talking to some friends of mine who were very supportive of one of the one of the people from Arizona, and they're like, uh, that isn't what part what we thought we were getting. What do we do as community people? How do we hold people? You know, it's one thing to say that you, you hold them accountable, and I always get these things, send letters, call. Is that still as effective as it used to be? I mean, to, to send letters, to send emails, to call, is that still as effective as it used to be? And, in fact, we used to just sort of show up at people's office and say, like, hey, you know. But are those tools still as effective for we, the people, to talk to, to influence those who are supposed to be representing we, the people? Yep. You know, those things are absolutely uh, more uh, are effective, Michelle. And there are additional tools as well um, that are also helpful. So, like you said, you know, sending um, – Emails or calling the office of a representative or an elected official is incredibly effective. Writing op-eds for local newspapers are incredibly effective. They're watching to see the pay, they pay attention to who contacts them in their office, and they're watching to see how they're talked about in the media locally. That's something that is very important to politicians. So <clears throat> um, doing things like that is uh, incredibly helpful. Also, utilizing social media in a way that is appropriate <laughs> um, and effective. <laughs> is a great way to do it too. So, you know, respectfully letting, us, you know, an elected official know that you want them to vote no on something or that, you know, something like the child tax credit has a really big impact on your family and you need them to vote yes on that and to fight for that. That's incredibly helpful, incredibly helpful. And I'd also say that, you know, when it's safe to do so, when these folks have coffee hours locally in their districts or in your hometown, going to those places, introducing yourself, and talking to them about what's important to you is also incredibly helpful. And, you know, is it a pain in the butt 
to, you know, go to a coffee hour on a Saturday morning when we're in the middle of January. Yeah, it's not the most fun thing in the world. <laughs> However, it makes a big difference. And it makes an impression on that elected official. So all those things are incredibly helpful. And um, doing things like the Movement Politics Academy training that I was describing earlier, it also connects you to people that, were, that are interested in this type of work. Because it's not just people that are running for office that take trainings like that. It's also people that are interested in running campaigns or being um, more involved in organizing generally. So attending those things is also a really great way to have an impact on how you communicate with elected officials. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned that, that social media and that they watch social media, you know, and I know that you, you, you sort of watch social media. So many people I hear like, well, you can't believe anything. How do you, what would be your, your suggestion to someone to recognize what is real versus you know, propaganda or a paid-for ad. You know, you we know that uh, my Google here in my, uh, my home is listening to me, and suddenly I'm going to see all these ads telling me something I may or may not be interested in. How do you separate that? That's a great question, and I, it's hard. So, you know, I can, I can talk about what I do personally. So I personally do not get any news from social media. So I don't read Facebook for information or Instagram. My Instagram is mostly food and hotels and, like, fashion (laughs) stuff. (laughs) So, um, you know, I I don't go to those sources. What I am, you know, I do read the newspaper. I read multiple newspapers. um, And, you know, I always think NPR and, you know, the BBC are really great uh, resources as well. I also recognize, Michelle, that, you know, I do this for work, and so not everybody um, that's listening to this has the time or the interest in reading multiple newspapers every day. <laughs> um, uh-huh. But that's what I do. I try to make sure that I um, have a diverse amount of uh, news resources, but I just make sure that I do not – things that I know are problematic, like social media, I don't look to them for any, um, for any news. I hope that's helpful. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, okay, I see that. No. You know, it's like, why are you telling me this? Let me, I do my own research. I'm like you. I'm an NPR person. I'm a uh, British uh, BBC. You know, I listen, you know, and then I go and I do my own research and read. But we're going to take our first break here, Roland, and then we're going to go a little deeper. So we'll be right there. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here talking about politics, elections, voting, um, 
2022. Roland, you know, one of the things that came out of elections is redistricting. It's starting all over the country. I know we just did it here in Michigan. I know. I mean, like you, how you used to know that person who had represented your district like forever. Then they changed your district where your district looked different. You know, like the 14th, I mean, it went from looking one way to looking a totally different way. Another redistricting, it's changing, you know, and it's like, I, you know, I'm hearing, okay, well, Brenda will be gone. Debbie's move, going to cover a different area, but she is going to cover this. I mean, how did we end up with these districts? Well, what's interesting about these districts this time around <laughs> is that the process changed. So <clears throat> a component of that 2018 law was that a nonpartisan redistricting commission was created that drew the lines. Um, and so back in, in, in the past, what would happen is, is that the legislature, um, whoever was in control of the legislature, would have the ability to draw the lines. And so we had terrible gerrymandering um, here in Michigan for decades as a result of that. And so the lines this time were drawn by that nonpartisan commission who met with residents all over the state over the course of this past year and had conversations with them about what considerations uh, voters wanted to be taken into account to ensure that we had the most equitable lines drawn that we possibly could. And it's a mixed bag, non-surprisingly. So there are some areas that um, the lines have, in fact, been drawn to great to reflect the diversity of the communities that these representatives are going to be um, voted in, elected and to represent. Um, but there's also some problematic lines where, you know, for example, the Detroit, uh, some of the Detroit lines are really problematic because they uh, disproportionately take away the, um, the ability for Detroiters to be represented exclusively by Detroit, by, by Detroit residents or a Detroit elected official. So it, based on the way the lines have been drawn, for example, right now in Detroit, I believe Detroit would be the only major city in the country that did not have its own representative in the, in the state legislature. It didn't like share it with a, um, an inner ring sub, suburban city. So there's a lot, um, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, and with those lines being uh, announced right after um, Christmas this year, there's a mad rush of people deciding where and when they're going to run. <laughs> so a lot of movement um, and some mixed results, but, better than what we've seen in the past because there's nowhere near the level of gerrymandering that um, we've seen in other uh, redistricting cycles, which happens every 10 years, by the way. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Brenda Lawrence, okay. Brenda Lawrence has been a staple on the Michigan political scene for whatever it seems. She's going mm-hmm. to be... Um, what does that mean as far as not having a member of the African-American community as a congressperson? And with the, you know, I've always thought of a Congressional Black Caucus in some ways as being the conscience of the Congress, because at a certain point there'd be things that they could say that no one else would We've lost John Lewis. I mean, we've lost so many people who are lions 
of the civil rights era who are who are black, who are touched kind of thing. So let's say that. What does that mean? Losing Brenda Lawrence. I mean, you know, we're not losing her. She's retiring, you know. But um, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Well, I think, first of all, I'd say that she's just been uh, such a wonderful representative of her district, and uh, she was an excellent mayor. And um, she will be sorely missed. I know I was one of the people that was one of many people that was disappointed when she announced her retirement because I think she's been a very strong uh, 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 congressperson. Um, and, you know, representation matters, Michelle, to speak to your point. And so, you know, us not having the same level of representation in Congress is problematic for all of our communities. That's not just people of color. That's also queer representation um, and, and, and the rest. And so my hope is, is that while we're seeing a lot of, frankly, we've had some painful um, deaths and people, you know, people passing away. There were civil rights leader, leaders in the last few years, and we've seen some uh, tough to swallow retirements as well. But my hope is that we're creating a situation in which we are able to resource and recruit um, candidates of color and queer candidates to certainly not replace but to represent um, us in Congress. And, you know, what, one of the things that, that, uh, came to, that, that comes to mind in 2020, um, I received a phone call. Uh, there's a, uh, like a, a political action committee that funds candidates of color that are uh, male um, called Brothers Under the Dome. It was, it was founded by the Congressional Black Caucus. And it's um, a really unique, uh, pack in that it is focused so laser, it's so laser focused on supporting, you know, candidates of color that are men. <clears throat> and and there isn't something in th- that's existed in that way. And so you're seeing, I'm saying that to say that you're seeing new things pop up to support candidates. That particular pack was focused on helping Jamie Harrison in his Senate race in South Carolina. He's now the, he didn't win the race, unfortunately, but he now is the uh, chair of the, uh, the Democratic Party. Um, but there's a lot of new things. Yes, there's changes, and yes, some of them have been painful, but there's new resources, new candidates, and new tools that are being developed as well. Uh, you know, and I, it just sort of, yeah, I know Brenda, and I mean, I thought the same thing, but also as I look and see how much voter rights, particularly, that's going to affect Black, the black community and other communities of color, how, and to not have that historical remembrance of what it was like to be black, to fight for our voting rights. I mean, you know, like to me, in some ways it's like, this isn't getting passed. It should be like a no-brainer. We should be able to, you know, that, that people, more people need to be able to come in. We know that there are people who are incarcerated who have been denied their rights. There are there is questions about the census and who got counted and, and that, you know, like we're, we're losing it. And here we have this bill that we can't get past, you know, the John Lewis voter rights, voting rights bill. And, you know, and it's under attack where it's almost like we need to be fighting. And in Michigan, I mean, because we know Southeast Michigan it's kind of cool, but there's parts mm-hmm. of Michigan where they could care less about 
those of us in Southeast Michigan. And it sort of gives one pause, you know. Yeah. Who will be there? Who will be there? Who will be raising that banner for well, Oh, go ahead, Michelle. I'm sorry. No, no. That's, I mean, that is, I mean, you know, that's what, that's what I look at. Like, wait a minute. You know, who's going to lead the fight, you know? Yeah. Not well, you know, I, because I, I, other people aren't tough, you know, but, you know. Yeah. You know, I, I had a conversation with uh, someone late last year about this. And we were talking about what was at stake for the 2022 elections. And, you know, I don't, I do not remember the original um, author of this, but there is a, uh, a saying that President Obama used to say, um, and that is, we are the ones who we've been waiting for. So the answer to your question, Michelle, is who's going to lead the charge with this? It's us. We're the mm-hmm. ones that are responsible to make sure this gets across the finish line. And while the hope was that we would be able to get the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed today, um, and that didn't happen today, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And we just have to keep at it. And, um, you know, I wish I had a, a simple answer or a magic bullet to say, like, oh, if we do this, it's going to work out. And it'll work out on this day at this time. <laughs> I don't have that. I, I do know that some pretty dynamic people all over this country, especially today, um, in part in, uh, in, in honor of Dr. King's birthday, we're fighting very hard for voting rights. You know, I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm the political director of Michigan United. We had phone banks throughout the day today calling folks in Congress, urging them to vote yes on the John uh, Lewis Voting Rights Act. We're doing an election protection training later this week. Um, and we're continuing to have people call Michigan legislators and ensure that they vote against any harmful voting legislation that comes up in the Michigan legislature. Everything I'm describing, by the way, is uh, available at our website, www.miunited.org. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, we're, we're out here fighting. It's just we haven't, we haven't won yet, just yet. And mm-hmm. it's important to remember when you, when, you do, when you do win, the battle isn't over. We still mm-hmm. have to do everything we can in order to protect the gains we've made. So there's a lot of folks uh, out there, Michelle, that are fighting the good fight, but we're the ones we've been waiting for. We're the ones that are responsible for getting this done. You know, because, I mean, not only Brenda, but you, since kindergarten, have been fighting this good fight. Yeah. You know, and, uh, yeah, since kindergarten, since kindergarten. And, you know, and like I said, you were doing these phone baking and all like that. After you have a day, like today, when you, uh, you know, you go in with good hope, like we're going to call, we're going to do this. And like you said, the fight goes on. What, what, what's the wind beneath your wings? What keeps you going? What makes you say, okay, all right, all right, everybody didn't get on board today. Tomorrow, rally the troops. What, what, do you, what, what, what gets you going? Yeah, you know, I really, I really believe in the work that I'm doing, and I really mm-hmm. love it. Um, I'm also very fortunate to work with people that I love very much as well and that I work well with. And I really care deeply about the people that are relying on me to show up for them when I'm the one at the table or when I'm I'm the one at the rally or I'm the one at the podium. I really get a lot of energy from that. I really um, love our community and believe in it. And um, 
take my uh, responsibility to be a representative of our community very seriously. And so I, I try and take it and run with it. But, you know, this work is so important. And you get to, if you're lucky, Michelle, I mean, you're one of them. If you're lucky, you get to work alongside people that are dynamic and, you know, you feed off of them. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, you know, there isn't some magic tea or something I drank. Some days, you know. No, it's, uh, it's the it's, people. It's, it's, you know, it looks more like a French martini, but that's okay. <laughs> yes, it's a French you martini. Know. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and that's often I think that the other part that goes with that is like we often talk about how visibility matters. And, you know, the person who may be like sitting on the fence, uh, no matter what generation, because we've all clicked the fence. <laughs> you know, people, some people want to say, well, this generation does it, that generation. But the people who are sitting on the fence, when they see someone like you representing not only the black community, communities of color, the LGBTQ community, and you're out there and you're fighting not for one, but for all. That visibility mm-hmm. helps somebody else sort of say, well, you know, I could go to a school board meeting. I might not want to run, but I could go to a school board meeting. They might get inspired and want to run, but they could, they could show up. They could pick up and make that phone call or send that email or they go like, well, you know, I heard Roland, and he says, this stuff still matters. Okay, let me pick up the phone and call. Let me email. And as soon as, it, as it, it's cool, I'm showing up at somebody's office or on a Saturday morning at that coffee hour and sort of say, hey, you know. And, that, and that's right. Visibility matters, and we can't ever forget that. And as much as we appreciate those lions who carry that, that burden all along, particularly on this day as we celebrate Dr. King's birthday, who carried it when he fell, somebody else picked it up. Somebody yeah. else was carrying it along with him, and they picked it up. And so, you know, I know. I mean, just because I heard that Brenda was going to, to retire and go, well, I'm done. No, it's like, okay, well, what, what, what are we going to do? What's happening in this district? You know, you, you pick it up and you keep going. And then part of it, it comes from that visibility, that training and that access that you're talking about that people can come and get, you know. It's, it's not a Absolutely. Secret. You're offering it. You're, you're really offering it. It's also important to remember that you're worth the investment in yourself. Like, you're worth making the phone call to speak up about what your family needs or what you've experienced or – um, what needs to change, like, you are worth it. So invest the time in yourself to, to put forth that energy to do that. So, it, you know, it's not just, of course, you know, we, we live in community, but you also are worth it too. And so I think mm-hmm. it, it's also important to remember that. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we always talk about, you know, voter suppression or how hard it is to vote. We came out in huge numbers for the presidential election. But they always mm-hmm. say, okay, president gets elected, the next one, well, forget it. Or I guess, you know, the same people came out and voted for him, stay home. Do you believe that's going to happen? I mean, do you think, is that a thing of the past? Or, I mean, I was so uplifted seeing pictures of people 
waiting in line forever to vote. People bringing yeah. those people water, although they, some places are saying you can't do that. But it was just like, you know, wow, I hope they continue to do that. Do you think that from the work you've done, the people who were engaged or re-engaged for 2020 will be there, you know, just need a little nudge to get back out there in 2022? I think if the Democrats give them a reason to vote and if the Democrats uh, have underlined um, how they have represented folks at the po- at, 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 while they've been in elected office, then no, I'm not as concerned because people, people respond to results. And um, I think we have a lot of work to do. I think it starts with, you know, with a lot of what we discussed earlier with the Build Back Better um, bills and with the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Um, but you have, to, you have to build on that. People want to see the return on their investment. So I think that if you see that happen, then absolutely you could see a really great um, result. And I'll say this too, Michelle, about that. You know, one of the things, it, it, just because of the nature of the work that I, I'm focused on, when I see long lines for voting, I get mad. Because you you normally see those long lines in brown and black communities. Um, it's not people don't wait to vote in Livonia generally, to my knowledge, um, the same way they have to wait to vote in some other communities. So that's just an example, it's anecdotal. But you know, voting should be a lot easier. You shouldn't need to have a stranger give you a bottle of water while you're standing in line for hours to vote. You don't stand in line for hours to pay your taxes. They make sure that's really easy. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot that needs to change to make voting more accessible for folks. Well, you know, when we had um, in August, was August or anyhow, when we had the last election, and they held, and, and <clears throat> I want to say it was in August, and um, I had a friend who voted in Southfield, and who had been in an accident. And when I went to vote early, and I was saying, you know, what do you do for someone who's And they said, if you drive up and to call us, and we, it happened, drove them up there, we called, we're out here, I was here Saturday, and you said someone would come out with the ballot. They came out, they brought in the ballot, stood there and waited, you know, took it back, and I was like, you know, it should be that easy. Because, you know, we were going through, oh, is it too late for me to file? I said, said, no, I I think you should be able to vote. Let's figure it out. But it should not be, like you said, it shouldn't be that difficult. You know, as much as as it did that, you know, I I wasn't in line. I had already voted. I I had gone, but I went to help, you know, on election day. But it shouldn't be that difficult. And No, it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. But you hear people who are doing, you know, they just want to make it harder and harder and harder, and it's like it makes no sense whatsoever. It should be easy, you know. It should it be should easy. Be- I mean, and it makes sense if you don't want people to vote <laughs> that are eligible because you don't agree with them or you don't <laughs> think you can win fair and square. So I'm not. I'm I'm pretty clear-eyed about why we're seeing these these attacks on voting uh, happen. It's because they don't want to win uh, elections based off of contest of who has better ideas, who, who, who runs the best campaign. They want to choose their own voters and then decide whether or not they are uh, comfortable with the outcome. And that's not how a democracy works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. It really is. 
Well, we're going to take our second break and then what's at stake. So we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here with my friend and fellow rabble rouser. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. Hello, hello. Roland, I'll tell you, you know, especially with, you know, with this pandemic. And I mean, I've heard people say like, well, well first of all, whoever's in office can't wave a line to make it go away. It's clearly unless people get, people have some personal decisions that they have to make. Some people need to recognize you. They need to get vaccinated. Do they care enough about their neighbor to wear a mask? You know, I mean, there's all these other things. Somebody in office can't wave what it's not, you know. They might be able to make vaccines available. They might do it. And it's also a global pandemic. But that's another story. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. But um, what, you know, because I know that some people, like, they're going to come and vote for president. But in between, they're like, eh, you know, it's not as important. Midterm elections are as important. What's at stake 2022? A lot, a lot. And, you know, we've talked about it a little bit, um, but, you know, things like, you know, my goodness, it's not just about infrastructure or climate change, but reproductive health is um, under attack. And because of the Supreme Court makeup that you were describing earlier, it's even more important for us to have legislation in place, excuse me, to um, protect a woman's right to choose and to uh, also have legislation in place like the Equality Act to protect um, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, and then obviously we all need more aggressive action on things like climate change and uh, reform and policing. So uh, there's just a lot at stake. And because of the makeup of the judiciary um, the former president was also uh, able to appoint a, lar- a, a, a tremendous number of judges and the judiciary. So we need those protections in legislation. So that's absolutely um, at, at stake, stake this election cycle. Um, also what's at stake is our ability to make the case to folks that their participation matters. So if their vote isn't counted or if the elected official they voted for doesn't represent them effectively, it's really easy for folks to get demoralized and um, disinterested. And so we can't let that happen. So we've got to make sure that we're keeping our foot on the gas, the folks that are in office, and that they're sending a message to the folks that voted for them that, hey, I'm fighting for you every day. Um, and that starts with some of the legislation I just mentioned. So there's a lot, there's a lot at stake. 
and 2024 will be here before you know it. I can't believe it's 2022. Like, I know. That was fast. I know. So it'll be here before you know <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be here before you know it. So it's just important for us to make sure that uh, these leaders and these elected officials are laser-focused on the needs of the voters and constituents that they have, and they don't let any of this other stuff affect um, that focus. Now, you know, it also, I mean, and we'll be living with COVID for a while, but knowing that it's here, it seems like these things, that that should help encourage them to want to make it so that people can vote and vote safely, you know? Yeah, I mean, you would you would hope, but again, if you're not interested in a free and fair election, you're just interested in getting the results that you want, Um you know, the other side is not as interested in, in that. And it's unfortunate, more than unfortunate, it's scary. And, you know, you see things like January 6th as a result of that. Um, uh-huh. So it's just, it's crucial. So, so it seems like, and, you know, and you're there, and, I mean, is there any working across the the aisle? Are, first of all, an are... Republicans sort of like this walking in lockstep to this, I don't know, this bugle that they're hearing that's saying that we have to take this stand. I mean, is there any wiggle room? I mean, how much of it is posturing? And how do you get people to work across the aisle and look at what's right for the people? Particularly if you break it down to a state or a district area, when you're up there, and Lansing, how do you say, hey, wait a minute, this is what's good for Michigan, you know, not your 15 minutes of fame? Yeah, well, I mean, it's hard to believe that does happen on occasion. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the people that is uh, great with uh, reaching across the aisle that I know we both know very well is Senator Jeremy Moss. Um, Mm -hmm. He's an example of someone that works um, not all the time every day, (laughs) Um, uh-huh. but it's certainly able to get uh, Republican support for bills that he introduces and gets passed. Um, and I just think, you know, Michelle, the way that I approach it, you know, it's my job to do everything that I can to get progressives elected into office and to hold them accountable once they're in office. And when once that person is in office, they need to do everything they can to work with the folks that they have access to, uh, regardless of what their political affiliation is. Um, that's why they're there. So I think okay. that you definitely, uh, it, it's possible. It's just incredibly difficult right now because of the political situation that we're in. You know, I mentioned earlier um, in this conversation that there was some additional voting uh, legislation that was being considered in the Senate. And one of the main um, authors of, of, of that legislation and, and that one of the centerpieces of that conversation is Utah Senator uh, Mitt Romney. And, I don't agree with him on probably like 98% of things. <laughs> However, um, you know, he's uh, at the table talking about ways in which to shore up um, our election system so that we know that, so that what, what occurred on January 6th will never happen again. So there are examples. Liz Cheney in uh, the uh, House of Representatives has been um, really uh, heavily involved in investigating what happened uh last year uh, during the Capitol riot as well. So there's, there's, there's certainly examples, not enough, 
and it's not good enough, but they're there still, and we have to work with what we have uh-huh. until we can change it. So on a personal level, how, when you're going out there, because I know that I've had people like, why do you even waste your time talking to some of these people? But I know that some of these people, there's a, you know, you can see a, a crack in this facade that, you know, they might talk one thing, but there's a way that if you say, yeah, but, you know, mm-hmm. do you really think that no matter what, you know, a woman should be, you know, this should be forced on it? Well, no, you know, you see that fissure. How do we move hearts and minds? You know, because I think that some of them are not going to change, but we can mm-hmm. move them. What language do progressives, and, you know, it's funny that progressive has become almost as dirty a word as liberal. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, for some, I love both of them now. I know, really, you know, call me, you know, call me, babe. Uh, I yeah. Mean, but how do we, how do we, how do we move hearts and minds? How do we make people recognize, like the child tax credit, that they're our children, that this is life-changing for them. It's not a handout. Mm-hmm. How do we mold the language or use our, use our adult words? Because progressives and liberals, we use adult words, you know, smart adult words. How do we move hearts and minds? Well, I think, you know, I think one of the things, uh, Michelle, is to take a look at what has worked in the past. And I think a really great example of a seismic shift in terms of how hearts and minds around a particular issue would be how quickly marriage equality mm-hmm. completely changed. And the, my understanding, so there's a number of things that happened, and it took decades to get there. So that it, it seemed lightning fast, but it wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And people, people have been working on it for generations. But one of the things that I know works really well in recent years is that people started to talk more about love and their families and then would want to hear more about other people, the families of their neighbors, and talk about the similarities that they had, um, talk about how similar some of their relationships were. And when marriage equality became more about family and, for better or worse, Less about less about um, you know people's perceptions of our community um, that were false. You really saw a really big sea change there, and so I think on some other issues, on things like the child tax credit, things like women's reproductive health, you know, p- talking to people about well, you know, if your daughter, your mother, your sister, heaven forbid, was in a situation that wasn't consensual, and then or they. Um, you know, had um, a medical condition that required them to terminate the pregnancy, heaven forbid, you know, that would be mm-hmm. a decision that you'd want to make carefully with that family member <laughs> and their physician. Mm-hmm. You do not want my opinion mm-hmm. on what you should do. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what this kind of stuff is about. It's about, you know, we all, most of us have the privilege of understanding what family is, whether it's sound or biological. But um, I find that when you talk to folks on that level, oftentimes, most, not all, most, um, and it may take a few conversations or a few years, but most do come around to seeing um, why so many of these things are important. So it doesn't always work. That's my approach, though. I talk to folks about what we have in common. 
and start there and then build from there. You know, and it is amazing, too, to me how, you know, we recall, you know, you wouldn't, if you, somebody might not want to serve you. I mean, you, we had to fight for everything to go to the, to the doctor and have our, our partner, our relationship done. And now it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like they're busy talking that they've moved on. They, I know, and some yeah. they put, they've just sort of moved on, you know, and, and they, and they've got their, uh, being their bonnet about something else, but it's like, it's it's amazing, you know, because you, rec- you were there. I mean, we were both there. Mm-hmm. And if you look at, like, the shock, even though we didn't have the big White House events under the Obama administration, look, we've got a secretary of, of transportation. We've got, we've got Mayor Pete. I mean, we've got... Oh, transportation. A, a transportation. We've got, a, uh, we've got a transgender people on the cabinet. We've got, you know, and it's not... This huge uproar doesn't mean that all of our problems are, are over as, L, as a member of the LGBTQ community. But it's sort of like, I mean, how many shows do you do you turn on TV? And it's like, I was talking to someone the other day that there are trans characters who aren't playing stereotypical trans characters. They're just people. Yeah. And it's like, and people are accepting them. And, and how many shows do you go and you see gay couples? who are married and people who will tell you they've been to that. That's yeah, just like, pop stars I mean, that are trans. I, I know. I mean, this is just sort of like who defunct it, you know, when yeah. Obama went in that, that, that we would have come this far. And like you said, yeah. did it, it, it seems like it was kind of fast, but it wasn't. We fought for a long time, but it just like, boom, it hit, you know? Yeah. Absolutely, well, and that's also, you know, we, we've made a lot of gains, and we also have a lot to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, again, critically important that we keep focused because none of these things are guaranteed. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if we're not careful, they can be temporary, unfortunately. So we need to make sure that we're doing everything we can to protect the gains that we made. And also, remember, you know, we're living in a really difficult time in history, and so it's hard to remember how far we've come when, like, day-to-day is kind of is as tough as it is for so many of us. So keep your chin up. And remember, everyone, that we've made a tremendous amount of progress. There's a lot at stake. We've got a long way to go. But we're on our way. And we can get there if we stay committed and focused. So you've been around Besides what's happened with the LGBTQ community, what are the other things that that you celebrate? You know, like, hey, we got to that. We can, but we can move forward. You know, this is we're not there yet, but we can get there. What are, are things that I would say since two thousand, no, two thousand eight, when Obama got in there, and you've seen a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. And you're and you're young and you're young guys. <laughs> um, yeah. Besides what's happened with our community, what are other successes? But then, I mean, you already talked about you know the challenges because we know we still have trans people who are being murdered. Um, mm-hmm. There's been some already this year. What mm-hmm. do you see as the successes, and what are the things like you were just saying? How you know we can't take our eye off this. 
Yeah, so I think one of the biggest successes is that people, um, not only from our community, but um, from the LGBTQ plus community, even communities of color, you see so many more people um, in positions of power, so they're not even just at the table, they're running it. I think Kamala Harris is a really great example of that. Um, mm-hmm. I certainly did not think that we would have, I was not confident we'd have a black president in my lifetime, let alone a uh, a black uh, and South Asian female vice president. <laughs> um, so things are moving quickly. And, and there's just, you know, there's been so many great examples of how far we've come as a country and a culture. Um, but, you know, I think she's a really great example of that. This is maybe going to seem like a left field uh, example, but I know we're talking about politics mostly, but I really think that Simone Biles at the Olympics changed yeah. the world of sports. And I thought it was so incredible that this woman that is considered the greatest of all time in her sport had nothing else to prove, was able to use her platform in such a way which, in, in which she was able to completely change the conversation of mental health when it came to sports across the board. And it's just incredible like that, you know, with all the challenges that our community faces and all the challenges, frankly, that she has faced personally in her life, that this mm-hmm. woman would be able to do so much um, at such a young age. I think she's like 24 or 25. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's just so many examples of people not only being at the table, but like running the space or managing the space or leading the space. And we're seeing more of that in so many other areas. And we're seeing an investment in that happening as well. And so I'm just really, really hopeful and happy to see that. Well, you know, I would say that Simone Biles not only did that, but it did in other ways. There are ways that mental health was always like, you know, you didn't want to talk about it. It was there, but people didn't. And the fact that she took such a, you know, like you said, she had nothing to lose. I mean, she was the greatest, and she brought attention to that, brought it to that platform, and changed conversation. Yeah. Changed conversations that would do that, you know. And, and, you know, they say the personal is political. And, I mean, I was just like, yes, yes. And by doing that, helped other people be able to stand up and do that. You know, so, no, I agree. I mean, I think that she should be right up there because I think that that, you know, how we were talking about how do, you, how do we change things and move hearts is how you make it personal. Yeah. And, and that's part of it, you know. When you see someone, um, I had talked to a woman who was in Delaware who had a trans daughter, and they wouldn't give her Medicare, didn't want to approve blockers for her. And she brought it in there and and really brought it home to where it was like, oh, you know, and it was like, if this was your child. So the personal can be very political. And I think that we have to step up, stand out, tell our stories, and stand in our truth. Yeah. You know, you might not agree with me on everything, but if I'm standing in my truth, you know, I mean, I know people I don't agree with, but I know what they're standing in their truth. And I go, I go, you know, good for them. You know, that that's who they are. And I can, there should be a big enough space for as long as it's not a truth that's, that's going to step on, put down, kill or hurt someone else. There has to be enough place for those truths. Yeah. And I, you know, I've come to this uh, a space 
and my the ripe old age of 40 that um, I no longer feel the need. I don't think you know, we all have to agree. However, it does matter how you treat people. How you treat mm-hmm. people matters greatly. And so I don't have a problem disagreeing with other people. I have a big problem when there's a disagreement about how other people should be treated because it matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does. Now, one thing, the Equality Act. What's happening mm-hmm. with the Equality Act? That's a great question. So um, there was <laughs> a, um, a desire to make that uh, during the 2020 uh, presidential cycle, we were told on the ground that that was going to be one of the main legislative priorities um, once President Biden was um, elected in office. And that didn't happen. There's a lot of conversation around um, around the Equality Act, but the combination of the um, the, the COVID relief that happened earlier, uh, or, or last year rather, with this real big push around infrastructure and voting um, and the migrant crisis, it kind of got lost in the thought, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So we're still pushing. Um, I know that uh, Speaker Pelosi is very interested in um, seeing that be passed, it just, again, with the filibuster in the Senate mm-hmm. um, and a narrow majority in the House, difficult to get some of these things done at this point, but we're still continuing to fight. So that brings up things. another thing that I've heard, either like some people who have considered running and they say, well, you know, you have the best intentions, you go in there, but, you know, there's this structure and you can't get things done. Or they look mm-hmm. and they'll say, well, Biden promised us this and he didn't, he didn't deliver. Well, you know, it's, how do you make people understand that even if you're going to run, how do you, if you're going to run that, you might hit these obstacles, but you can, you know, keep your true north and work towards it. It's not going to be a home run either way. Or people who will say, well, you know, Biden promised us this, that, and the other. And, you know, they tend to forget that there's an epidemic, there's been a budget crisis. I mean, there's all this other stuff that's going on, and that it's just not, he can't just sign a paper, you know. And although they right. have, you know, and the difference between signing an act and getting a bill done. So how do you, how do you explain that to people when they go like, ah, you know, why should I get involved? They don't do what they say, and if I went and did it, I couldn't do what I wanted to. I mean, I, I'm just honest with people. First of all, a lot of these things take time to do. So, I mean, even writing the bill takes a while. Um, and then you have, you know, you have different legislative cycles. So when things come up, that, de- that determines when they could be considered. That's kind of the boring part of it. But the reality is a lot of this just takes time to do. And it's, it's, this is a, a rule in life, let alone in politics. When you fail at something, it doesn't make you a failure. So if mm-hmm. you try and get something passed and you don't get it passed the first time, that doesn't mean it's just not going to happen. It means we've got to figure out another way to get this done. Um, that? And that, that's the way, yeah, that's the way that I approach it. Like, you know, these things need to happen. And just because we can't get them done, the first plan didn't work or expectations weren't met in the way we, in which we thought they were going to be met, doesn't mean it's over. Just, and doesn't mean anybody was, was misleading you. Or, but it does mean that we have to do something different um, in order to get this done. So 
that requires patience and um, a new plan a lot of the time, which isn't fun, but it's what's necessary. <laughs> like you said, and that's why you're still doing what you do today, right? <laughs> yes. With the help mm-hmm. of French martinis and you. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, we have like, we have a history of drinking martinis at conferences, so that's what that's what that is all about. <laughs> you know, really, that that's what gets you through. You know, when when it gets tough, you know, when things get tough, I find you. We find a bar. We have a yeah. martini. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we live to fight another day. <laughs> Take a breath. Exactly. That's right. Well, Roland, um, I thank you. I will be back in touch with you throughout. You know, you've given me a couple of other names. We are going to, you know, and really, if you're looking, this is like a marathon. And that's what I get when I always tell people. It's a marathon. If you're looking for something quick and flash in the pan, you know, don't get into this. <laughs> but no. <laughs> right and equality. It's a marathon. Yeah. It's called a movement for a reason. We're constantly moving ideally forward but it's a movement. Mm-hmm. Hey, and if it was, and I always tell them, I said, and if it wasn't, we'd be stuck with that constitution, the literal meaning of that constitution, and life wouldn't be good for so many of us. It's no, it living, would not be. It's a living democracy. It's a living, yeah. growing entity. And you know what? Either you're a part of it, or we're going to shed you like old skin. (laughs) (laughs) So, Roland, I want to thank you again. I want you to stay safe. I want you to stay warm because it's cold out there. And until springtime, and we find an outside bar or a bar where we can safely social distance and lift that that glass together, I wish you all the best. Oh, I, I can't wait for that, Michelle. Love to you and your family, and thank you so much for having me. And you stay warm, too. Okay. Well, I will talk to you real soon. Okay. Talk to you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Roland Leggett, the Movement Politics Director at Michigan United. Roland works to build inclusive communities, the personal is still political and no one knows it better. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this for past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week. And I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.